Hello and welcome to the At Scale Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Keith. The show is being brought to you by Clarity Business Solutions, a small business focused on systems and software engineering based out of the Maryland and D.C. area. At Scale looks to bring you interesting discussions of engineering topics with people who have real-life experience using and implementing software solutions around popular products and architectures in the technology industry today. Hello, today's episode is a recording of a tech talk I did a few weeks ago based around MongoDB schema design considerations when you're coming from SQL. Sorry about the recording quality, it was a little bit of a hollow room and I had didn't have an optimal way to record the talk, but hopefully you'll get something out of it. I've also attached a link to the slides that I used for this in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Alright, can everybody hear me? Do you hear me in the back? Yes? Alright, I'm going to talk. Can you hear me good now? Am I talking at a good level? I don't want to lag it. Alright. Um, yeah, we turn in the front. Alright, so my name is Mike Keith. Uh, I'm a certified Mongo developer and database administrator. I uh, work for Clarity Business Solutions. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about schema design considerations when you're moving applications into Mongo database. Um, can, I was here for the show of hands of which versions people use, but I kind of wanted to do ask the question a little differently. Um, how many people will currently like manage applications that are in a SQL database? Show, show of hands. So you use SQL? All right. You got a couple of people. How many people are using Mongo currently? All right. So how many people have actually done a transition from SQL to Mongo and done the schema design, or did you just come on after it's already been done? So you did, okay, all right. So okay, so this is, uh, I kind of want to start off basic. Like, what do you need to think about when you're moving from SQL to Mongo? What kind of, where does your headspace need to be? And what is Mongo doing for you, essentially? Um, so the first things, like you've got relational databases, uh, tabular databases, as Dave said, uh, and they've got transactions. They usually have a lot of tables and a lot of rows, and you need to do um, joins to get all that data back together. And then the next step is Mongo and NoSQL, and you've got the document model. It's where you try to nest information inside a document. You try to make as little calls as you can. You don't want to do joins, because it doesn't do joins, honestly. And you want to go there. So as an example, um, for an old schema, the, the idea of the talk is to kind of maybe compare and contrast the two from each other. Um, so we've got a blog. Is kind of the example I want to show first. So this is sort of the, the classic thing that I learned when I was first getting into Mongo. They related it as, well, if anybody's ever installed, has anybody ever installed WordPress? Have you ever done that, like made a blog for yourself? I mean, I remember the first time I did that, like 10 years ago, it created 40 tables in a SQL database, and I, was, I didn't touch a thing. I said, I don't know what that's going on there. I'm just going to let the software do what it does. Um, this is a little simpler. It's about five. Right, or four, four or five, yeah. And it's got you know, your blog posts, which has got your text, your ID, and then you've got these tags, which is a sort of a list, so it needs a reference table between the two. So you're gonna have to, if you ever wanna see which tags are related to a blog post, you gotta do a join. Um, and then you've got the user who wrote the blog post. And that's if, well, if there's only ever one user who writes the blog post, you've got just one there. But say, if you had multiple contributors, maybe you might have to have a list that ends up having this sort of mapping table as well. And then you've got a status. Is it um, in draft? Is it shown to the public yet? That sort of stuff. Um, and with Mongo, you've got a whole different vocabulary. 
it's not the same. It's not tables and rows. It's collections instead of tables, and it's documents instead of rows. So the idea with documents is it's JSON. I mean, when you look at it, you basically, if you're familiar with JSON, and you can have arrays in JSON of different types, and then sub uh, objects in your JSON, it's the same thing with documents. You can have those sub-documents, and you can have lists, and it all works really well with all that. So the big thing that people worry about when they're going to this, um, this sort of storage structure is that they worry that, oh, you know, I, I can't represent it in the many different ways that my SQL structure used to do. I'm kind of stuck with the one way I put it in. But I would counter that argument with, well, that's really what you want. Like, you want to design to your use cases. And a lot of people's applications really only have seven or eight use cases. And you need to, or at least like from a basic level, it handles most of the processing you need to do. So what you want is, in the example of like uh, moving from SQL to the document structure, is you want to break out of that SQL table structure. You, you don't want to do this. You don't want to say, oh, well, I had three tables in my SQL, so I'm going to make three collections, and I'm going to make user ID references across everything, because you can't join collections. It's not supposed to join. What you want is something like this, where it's embedded. You've got your contacts embedded in a nice thing and in the sub-level, and then if this accesses, maybe they have several, then it could be a list, or it doesn't have to be. Um, and the beauty of the Mongo document is it's not set in that uh, that structure. You, there is some things in Mongo now, actually, I think with 3.6, where you can enforce a schema on the document. But by default, you don't enforce that schema. You let your software handle versioning. And if you have to upgrade your documents, you can go through and do a process to maybe upgrade it to a different structure if you wanted to. So you want to have things kind of work loosely the same across all your collections. They're very similar, but you don't necessarily have to have them exactly the same. And a big thing with that is that you can basically affords you a lot of flexibility as a developer of the, of the thing. You can go in, change your documents, you can see it, and you can actually kind of manipulate that data even from the database console. I mean, in the example I talked about with WordPress, if I wanted to go recreate the blog, uh, page that's shown on my WordPress when I go to one blog entry, if I went into uh, like a command line SQL database, like command line application, I would have to do some big join to just bring back a table of data. I really couldn't represent it in like a readable way. Whereas with Mongo, if it's all stored in one document, you can just pre-print the JSON and it looks very similar, I mean kind of in a structured JSON way, to what you would see on your blog page. So it's very, it's readable, which is a nice thing. It's, it's convenient for you. Um, so this is kind of like the blog example taken as in those five tables that we had before are down for the one. And I think a lot of people get concerned when they see something like this in that they go, well, you know, how, how do I access that data? Like, how do I search by the tag name? If these tag names are across hundreds of different documents, what do I do? You know, like, so I guess, Something I would say is that, you know, I can just show you what you do. Like, there's a, an idea with Mongo that's called a dot notation, um, where if you have a nested document or nested list, you can just do a search on those nested things and have it bring back all the documents that say have MongoDB as a tag. So, actually, I'm going to kick over a little bit to my database that I have on my laptop. 
So I have a sample set of data that's not the blog. It's actually, um, has anybody ever heard of the Magic the Gathering? It's a card game. So if you use that, it's got a lot of cards. It was an easy set of JSON that I could get. And I transformed that into a couple of uh, easy to use. Oh, wait, so I've got the cards. So if we look at a card in the structure that I have, we've got this, the artist, and we've got the name of the card, this adorable kid, and that's kind of, kind of a cute card. And then you've got the set that it came out with. It's unstable. This is a list. So if I wanted to go and list all of the cards in this set, even though it's in a list in the sets kind of array, I can still just go and search that, which is a really kind of powerful tool. So if I use this command over here, it's using kind of what I want to describe as the sets in the set code. And I look for all the cards here and I hit enter. It kind of brings back all this JSON. And right now it's not really a great, pretty way to describe it. But if I put this command line in here, it brings it back in the same format that I saw before, and that's kind of scrolled off. But, you know, you kind of get the idea is that if you're doing this at your, at your development console and you're writing code, you go to the database, and this is a really, like, once you learn the syntax and you're very quick at it, you can just go back and forth between things and really check your data easily, and then go look at, if something's breaking, you can kind of go back and forth really simply. So, with that, it's kind of like, you want to design by the general rule of what you're doing as an application and you want to implement it with like what makes it work. So that's really been the tenet of how I design things with Mongo Database and, and like the flexible schema. It's really easy to get into an idea where you think SQL's going to kind of, you can't get rid of these tables, you have a lot of them, and you want to just maintain that thing. It's really hard, but I think while there's a lot of investment in changing your schema design, I think there's a ton of benefit you get out after the fact. Like it's kind of an idea of you, you then create, you basically get rid of a whole maintenance tail of your code if you can have that object translation that's very simple. You don't need an ORM layer. You don't need something that ties together 10 different tables and things to create your objects. It just comes back mostly the same way that you you put it into the data. And that's really simple. It makes one. Oh, go ahead. I'll say, how does Mongo really handle versioning? For example, I have kind of a field in that the card. Yes. Yeah. Do I have to update all the values to fit that? Or what if I search for it and just not find the values? So, so it depends on how. It's, it's kind of up to your implementation, mm -hmm. but there's nothing by default that'll break. What it'll do is, if, say, that field isn't there and you're searching on those documents. Yeah. yeah it kind of assumes that kind of like null. Yeah. It just doesn't exist there. So you yeah. can have things, you can have fields in one document that's not the other. Mm -hmm. Now you don't want a completely different document, Correct. like two sets of completely different documents, but say they're like the same base, mm -hmm. but there's a bunch of optional fields mm -hmm. to some of them, and you can have them across. And, and it's one of those things you need to kind of expect that in your code, mm -hmm. so that if you delete a field or add a field, you, yeah. your code knows that it might be null, and that's just sort of a good um, good practice, really. I mean, for most most coding that way, you're kind of assuming that I could get nulls back, and yeah. I don't want my code to break. You know, so so versioning. Um, there's there's really like mostly it's expected you do sort of a uh, kind yeah. of a software implementation. Yeah, right? application. yeah, where you'd say in the application layer, I know I'm on version 3.0 mm -hmm. of my app, and this is what an object looks there. Now there is stuff. Um, 
they, you can go look online about this schema, schema validation currently in Mongo database. They put in 3.6, I think, and is in 4.0 as well, that, uh, that you can start to enforce how the document should look in a certain way. And what it does is it does a check on the document as you insert or as you update it and doesn't allow you to do that document in a different way. And it just all depends on kind of your use case and how you want to work with it. So a big thing that I like to ask me is these kind of three questions. Like how, how often is a lookup done? You know, like if you're going to have this blog and the most, the biggest use case you have for a blog in these day and age is somebody shares it on Twitter and it goes viral, right? So nobody's coming to your homepage anymore. At least a very small portion of people are coming to the homepage. A lot of people are getting a link and it knows directly what blog uh, posts they want to go see. So you want to optimize your application so that that thing is super fast. So that somebody comes to your site and that blog post loads immediately. So you want that thing to be quick and that's how you want to have your schema. Now, admittedly, if that's the thing that's quick, if there's say some data analytic you want to do on your blogs or you want to say change all the tag names, that's going to be a slow operation because now you do have to iterate, you have to do some operation that changes everything that has the tag name of you know, Mongo in it, it's a blog post about Mongo, but that's something you could do offline because you're not going to do that that often. It's not the real-time thing that you need for somebody to come to your site. Because the, the last thing you want is if your your thing goes viral, say we're in the commercial world, and then all of a sudden your blog, your, your website goes down because your database can't handle all the transactions because it's, it's pulling, it can't do all the joins to pull together. 10 tables to make your blog post. If it's just one call, it pulls it back and it's done. It just gets it off the desk. With this, I wanted to show a little bit, let me see if I can, maybe I can sit here and kind of turn around. I wanted to show, we talked about Compass a little bit. Since a lot of people are familiar with Mongo, I don't know if you've used Compass. I actually did an example of this with um, the aggregation builder, which I think is kind of cool. Another thing I kind of wanted to point out is I'm running all this off my laptop. I'm not using Atlas or anything. Like I easily just set up a Mongo database in about 10 seconds this morning on here, installed Compass, and now I'm connecting to it and I have some data that I had imported. I had set up the JSON files before that to do an import. But it's simple, like, and that's the thing as a developer, you want that. Like you want to be able to just do it, just, I don't know. Okay, I want to be able to just do it myself. I don't know about you, but I do. As a developer, I love being able to just touch everything from my code all the way down to where the data is. I don't want to have to deal with administration and all that sort of stuff. So this is Compass, which is kind of a visualizing tool. Like I showed you the, um, the, the command line before, which is very useful. Compass lets you look at your collection. So I have this MTG collection, which is the, the get Magic the Gathering cards. And I've got three different, this is the database, but then the three different collections here. One's all the cards. Another is the sets. And this other one is sets with cards. And I kind of made a comparison of the data in this collection is actually the same data as this collection, but it's represented in a different way. And I wanted to kind of compare and contrast, you know, the schema design choice here of why you would go one way versus the other. Um, so if we go look at the cards, we have those, the same cards that I showed you before, and it has the array of sets. So the card before, and then this is a representation of each set with, now I did that search where I found every card with a set, and this data has one document that has the set plus every single card in that set. 
And you might ask, like, you know, what does that do for me? Well, maybe maybe my website only displays set information and it wants to bring back every card every single time. So I always want to just pull back the unstable set and just always have all the information and just have that, you know, iterated through on the JavaScript layer. Like maybe you don't want to make another call. But the problem here that you might see, does anybody see a problem with this schema at all? Like did you might want to point out of like something you might want to do? Say again? So large amount of data. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not too much. So there is a document limit, it's good to mention. Document size limit is 16 megabytes in Mongo. It's the same card in different sets. How do you find what sets that card is? That's a perfect example. So, so if you have a card that's in a bunch of different sets, so I have an example of that where we can go over to this aggregation tab here in Compass, which you used to have to write this thing kind of, you, you use, the, use the syntax, you have to write it in like a text editor and then paste it in or copy or do it in code or whatever. But they've made this really nice aggregation pipeline editor where you can actually select the different pipelines you want to use. And let me just go and load one that I've made already, uh, which is search names, which does exactly, thank you, what he suggested, where I can search across the sets for a specific card in still an efficient manner, which is the nice part about it. So if I open this, and look here, I wanted to search on a card that's called Goblin Guide that's in three different sets. The idea with the aggregation is you have a pipeline of operations you want to do across all of the documents. So you would start out by projecting which values you want out of that document structure. So when I showed you the document structure, you might you can use the dot notation I described before. And in this case, I wanted to only get the name, I want the card subtype and the card text, and then the name of the set. And then the next operation, I do this thing called unwind. Um, and unwind essentially takes that, that array that was, when you had one set, it, and it has an array of cards under it, it's gonna inline, unwind that whole array of cards into single documents that can be searched at that point, and then aggregate it on, which is why it's the aggregation. And then after, after it's at a single document per array, in, array object that's that sub-object, you can then match by the card name. And what this does is let you get down to here, and I kind of added these stages, and what, what you have is like a preview here every every time you go into the um, in each stage. I unwind it on the card's array, and then I match by this Goblin Guide card. So the unwind, basically it let me search and then find that this Goblin Guide card is in the Grand Prix set it's in Modern Masters 2017, which doesn't mean anything to you unless you actually know the game. And then it's also in the original set that it came out with, Zendikar. And the neat thing here is I, the reason it's only showing these pieces of that document is because I projected it previously, but I could add any information from that sets document into here. You can note that like this aggregation, it looks like if I go to that same aggregation, looks like this when it's in the Mongo shell. So I haven't, I haven't pre-printed this, like if you enter down, it actually might be a little more readable if I pre-printed it, where I enter down on each of the stages. But you can see the compass really helps you out there. It gives you like a preview as you're going, and you can kind of get that it's pretty powerful. But it's still a lot to go through just to get to search for this one card across a bunch of sets. So that's the kind of thing that you need to think about when your schema design is, like what's your, 
what's your use case? If you're never searching on this, if you're only ever infrequently searching on card names, but you're always bringing back full sets of information, then that, that one scheme I showed you is the way to go. But if you're always, always searching on just one card, and you only want to know the set information for one card, or you want to gather it together infrequently where you want to see the set, the whole set's cards, then you want to go the other way that we put it in there. And that's kind of the goal. That was sort of like the, the story I wanted to tell at the top, um, which basically kind of came down to, you know, I have some lessons learned that I've gotten to, and they're basically just like looking out for yourself. You don't want to do multiple document updates in your code. You want to try and leverage Mongo to do that, and it has features to do that, where you can go and update a bunch of things with one database call. And the thing there is even though it's a multi-document update, it still is not the transaction unless you use the 4.0 transactional stuff. And there's actually features where you can ask it to stop and kill your whole operation if you're doing multiple document updates or you can tell it to just like uh, try to continue on and do as many as you want. And it depends on your use case if you want of how you want to do it. Like say, uh, I don't have any like specific example of that sort of thing, but I mean, if there is something where you're trying to add a tag to a bunch of blog posts and you're just doing a bulk operation, you don't care if you miss some because you can go back and search for the ones that got missed later, you might want to set it to like just continue on. The next thing is I've seen a lot of like the early frameworks of Mongo where like the Java Mongo template for Spring, I think like the original one that they did, it's better now, where it wouldn't actually use the atomic operations where you update a single attribute of a document. It would just save back everything that you pulled back from the database from your application layer back into the database. And you really don't want to do that because you you're not going to, the, the atomicity of operations which is the, what uh, Dave was talking about before, was before 4.0, you had um, the acid level of compliance with one document, where if you said, I want to increment this value one time, and you say, I increment this attribute, then even if you do a bunch of other changes to that document, they happen in time order. But if you did a thing where it just says, full save all this new information over the old document, if you're doing an increment somewhere else, in an asynchronous way, you're going to lose that information. So you want to leverage the atomicity of the, like the, the atomic operations and updates and individual attributes. You want to be you don't want to kind of just save over one thing. Like if you're doing a blog and you change one word in the text, you don't want to resave all the other attributes of that document. You just want to save the text. Um, the last thing is there's a bunch of cool operations you can do with arrays, which I think is always a big thing that SQL people coming from SQL. Think about where, oh, well, you know, you have this list of things in your document, how you modify that in a way or find stuff in there. And there's a lot of push-pull set, like things you might think about in, in an object-oriented language in Java, you can kind of do that in as a database operation. Um, and I guess that's, that's kind of all I had. Is there any questions about, like, I've done a lot of stuff with Mongo, so really, I mean, if, like, you have any questions about general things I didn't even talk about, let me know. We can maybe kind of, like, have a discussion. So, <laughs> that's about all I have, and thank you.
Thank you for listening to the At Scale podcast brought to you by Clarity Business Solutions. You can find our website at www.claritybizsol.com, which is spelled C-L-A-R-I-T-Y-B-I-Z-S-O-L.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ClarityBizSol. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please email us at podcast at ClarityBizSol.com.